I always hearken back to the days of Data, the guy on Star Trek who had no personality and had no feelings because he was an android. Keeping data safe while working from home. Today on the Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast, sponsored by GHX ePay. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Eric Reese. Eric, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Erica. Hi. You know, I'm one of uh, HFMA's editors and writers, and I've been here at HFMA going on like 25 years. Most recently, I've been the editor of HFMA's Financial Sustainability Report. And my primary focus has been on HFM Magazine. I've been developing content, managing, and the editorial planning and production processes. All right. Well, speaking of HFM, Eric, the February issue will be hitting mailboxes very soon. So let's talk about what's in HFM. What's the hot story to be looking for in this issue? Well, the cover story is really kind of special. We had an interview with one of HFMA's board members from a little over 20 years ago. And the very first Black board member of HFMA. His name's Dalton Tong, and he has a lot of interesting things to share about his experiences as a Black healthcare leader and advice for people of color that are interested in careers and in advancing in healthcare. You know, we also have a really interesting interview with a, an expert on population health. Uh, her name's uh, Jennifer Yeager, and she's talking about social determinants of health and why the COVID-19 crisis has made it just so critical for us to address the issues of uh, social determinants of health. And she focuses on, in particular, like senior isolation. And she has some recommendations like about how we can deal with those things. And I guess one other thing that I'd highlight maybe is there's an article by provider member, Brian Matney. It's an expert reviewed piece on the 340B program. And he's kind of telling you how important it is to self-audit your compliance with the program. It's actually important to just sustaining the program itself. I remember not too long ago, uh, Dalton Tong spoke to our staff about some of his experiences. That was really enlightening. So I'm looking forward to seeing that cover story, especially. How do you benchmark your revenue cycle performance? Many organizations measure success compared to past performance. Others leverage software to benchmark against other facilities that share the same technology. But that only paints part of the picture. What about comparing your performance to your peers? Peers that you define in custom peer groups. MapApp is the online benchmarking tool from HFMA that helps organizations compare their performance against data from more than 600 facilities. Interested in taking the next steps to identify your revenue cycle opportunities? Visit hfma.org forward slash map app. I want to take you back to March 13th, 2020. Friday the 13th. Uh, That was the day that uh, we on the HFMA staff found out that our office was shutting down for, I believe the plan was two weeks, uh, during which time we would be working remotely. And here we are 
Today, as we're recording, is January 15th, 2021, and we are still working remotely. Many, many people across the country and indeed the world are working remotely. But with working from home comes new security risks. And that's what our main interview today is about. So, Eric, I want to put you on the spot. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to read you a piece of information and I want to know what it sounds like to you. Here it is. 409-522002. Well, um, my first thought was his phone number, but no, it sounds like a social security number. It is. It is indeed a social security number. Oh, my God. Okay. It is wow. not my social security number. I would not. <laughs> you would not share that. No. <laughs> no. But it is someone's social security number. Specifically, it is Elvis Presley's social security number. Here's why I'm telling you. I recently interviewed Kevin Coppins, the president and CEO at Spirion, which is a data security company headquartered in Florida. He talked about some of the risks that occur when we work remotely, as well as some best practices. But the guiding principle is always the same, to remember that there is a person behind the data. People let their guard down when they're at home. They feel safe at home. You see plenty of commercials on TV about people letting their guard down just a little bit too much when they're at home. Making the conversation around data personal is not an easy thing for organizations to do. The data that you're working with at home actually represents people and understanding that it's not just their social security numbers. It's not just their medical records. Hackers are looking for any key element that they can go ahead and find and append to another key element to take those pieces of data and make it a person. And I think if people try to make it more personal when you're working from home and recognize that the data that you're handling represents individuals, and if that individual is compromised by your action or inaction, regardless of where you're working from, you're making an impact on somebody's life. And, and I think that might sound a little bit dramatic, but it's real. Every breach starts off with unprotected server of lots of sensitive data found. And that's usually not because somebody was trying to do something wrong. It's because they didn't respect the data as the individual people that it represents. I oversimplify. If you draw a visual of your desk at work or your cube at work, and if you had 315 files sitting on top of that desk, and they all contained financial reports, patient data, doctor data, whatever it happens to be, clinician-related stuff, and you walked out of your unlocked office and left them all sitting there, you probably wouldn't do that because the, the visual representation of looking at all this stuff, you'd be like, eek, this is not the best idea. And oh, by the way, if you did do that, somebody would probably be calling you or grabbing you back into your office saying, this is not the best idea. Similarly, I don't care if you're working from home to the office, you need to think of your digital files the same way because they really are. I just think for some reason, having a computer desktop with 600 things on it doesn't feel the same as a physical desktop. But understanding cleaning that workspace up at the end of the day, let it be a physical one or a virtual one, has the same level of importance. So realizing that your data is going to duplicate and replicate and go to the cloud and your trash and your outbox and your exchange email and the reason why we BCC ourselves so we can have yet another copy of that sensitive data on our desktop often befuddles me. So just think about cleaning up that desktop space and making sure that you've emptied your trash, making sure that you don't have multiple copies of things where they shouldn't be. Understand what's happened with your sensitive data footprint on your machine and clean it up because if you don't, 
and you delay that for three or four or five or six or seven or eight months, or in some cases years, think about what your physical desk would look like. Well, that's what your laptop now looks like. I don't ever deal with patient records. That's not my job. I don't work in a health system. I don't work in a, you know, in this kind of environment, but I sort of feel like uh, I've been taken to task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you'd be surprised the stuff that lives inside your machine. Quick, uh, this probably won't make the recording, but I call, <laughs> I call these little moments of being distracted story time with Kevin. So story time with Kevin, I'm meeting with a large sports franchise, household name, we'll just put it that way. And I've got the president of the sports franchise and I've got their chief technology officer in this fancy meeting room. And the chief technology officer never wants to look like they've done anything that might compromise a business in front of their boss. So he's like, everything here is awesome. We're bulletproof. You know, you're not going to find a more skin. Just I'm like, I'm sure it is. And I'm like, you know what I find sometimes is sometimes people just never like to delete their sent files. Cause they use that to search. That's where they go in and find out. I know I sent that to that person back here in the day. And the president lit up like a Christmas tree. And he goes, I have 16 years of sent files on this laptop. I go really like offers for players. I was like all that stuff. And the CTO just about crawled underneath the desk. It's like, you have what on there? Yeah. Every piece of sensitive data you've ever sent for 16 years sitting on your laptop. So, Eric, I want to pause here for a minute and ask you to pop into your sent messages folder. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how many emails you have in that folder, but I do want to know, after listening to that clip, uh, do you think you have any cleanup work to do like I did when I went into my sent folder? Oh, God. Let's see. <laughs> Whoa. Well, all right. All right. Guilty as charged. I, I confess I save emails in my sent folder for exactly the reason that Kevin mentioned, okay? But when I stop and think about it, I don't even know what kinds of potentially sensitive information are in those emails. So that's really eye-opening. There's one thing I wanted to mention that this kind of made me think of. We had a story in the August issue of the Financial Sustainability Report. It was like on setting up a practical revenue cycle work from home program. And anyway, the author was recommending that hospitals establish protocols for remote users to credential themselves to be able to access applications so that they made sure that it was behind the organization's firewalls. And, you know, that might be something that people would want to explore. Yeah, I can put a link to that article in the show notes. That might be something that people want to take a look at. But yeah, I thought that story that he told was pretty illustrative. And, and then looking at my own, I have been at HFMA five and a half years. And I had five and a half years of sent messages before I talked with him. You talk about shrinking the target when it comes to data security. What do you mean by that? Let's try to use another physical example because... For some reason, all these C drives and hard drives make it hard to understand. If you had copies of all of your of your will, of your passports, of your credit cards, of your driver's licenses, and you were to keep that stuff in your house, you probably don't keep it laying in a giant pile in triplicate or quadruplicate copy laying on your kitchen table. You typically say, well, why do I have 73 copies of my passport? I really just want one. You typically say, I'm going to keep that in my safe unless I'm traveling or I'm going to keep it someplace out of sight. That's normal in the physical world. In the digital world, it's not so normal. And with the advent of the cloud and things like Dropbox and OneDrive and G Drive, your data starts replicating the second it hits your desktop. 
So when you save in that little folder and now you keep it on your home machine and you go to work and it's magically there in your work machine and it's magically in that sent file we just talked about and it's magically in six or seven other spots, data grows and it replicates very quickly and it doesn't care if it's sensitive or non-sensitive. So taking the time to reduce the footprint down to just what you need makes it a heck of a lot easier to protect. Back to that physical example, if you had 30 copies of your credit card laying around, that's pretty hard to keep track of. If you've got one and it's clearly labeled and tagged as this is a credit card number, then you would say this credit card is going to be put in my safe or in my wallet or in my purse every single day. Much easier to manage when you have a much smaller footprint. And that's what we're referring to. Another thing that people don't think about is when they go up to the system of record. So if it's SAP or it's EPIC or whatever you happen to be using, people pull data down all the time because their boss asks them to run a report on X and you can't run the report out of a native system. So you have to drop it into a CSV so you can do some analysis on it. Every financial system, every organization's key financial system is Excel. They might have spent millions of dollars on something else, but Excel is what runs the business. And you'd be amazed how much data gets pulled down into column AX, row 7,642, but there might be a million pieces of sensitive data in one Excel file that somebody just doing their job doesn't recognize that they pulled down. And that's where very often back to the shrink in the footprint conversation starts. Make sure you know what you're pulling down and you have a reason for pulling it down. And there will always be, this goes back to a little bit to work from home. People are always going to do workarounds, let it be VPN or I'm only supposed to be using Citrix sessions or what have you. If that doesn't allow me to answer my boss's question, I'm going to find another way to get that done. Just make sure that when you're invoking a workaround, which is necessary to do your work, that you clean up after yourself. Very, very critical part of both of your last questions of working from home and also making sure you're shrinking the footprint. Don't inadvertently grow it exponentially because you did what you had to do. Make sure you go back and clean it up. Sure. So there are a lot of places to get tripped up with this. And despite your best efforts, you could end up with a breach on your hands. Um, you could do all the training, you could do everything that you need to do, but hackers are very smart people. A lot of the time they get this information. So what is your first step to minimize damage if this happens in your organization? Well, as you and I talked when we kicked off this call, I am staring out my window of bands of Hurricane Ada headed towards Florida. And my insurance company would say, the first thing you want to do to go ahead and prepare in the event that you have a disaster is to know what's in your house, inventory it, go through every room and take pictures so that if you have to go back to your insurance agents and say, this is all the stuff that I had, I need to get it replaced, um, you can do so. And the same exact thing holds true with a breach. Many organizations were recently impacted, especially in healthcare, um, not-for-profit organizations and education as well by a recent breach with Blackboard. And everything was supposedly encrypted and the files weren't, there was no issues except in open text fields, there could be information that was put there. So a lot of boards went to their IT groups and said, all right, I, I know from the press releases and from the Blackboard folks that we should be okay, but how do I know if we're really okay? Can you tell me exactly what was in the house? So going back and having that inventory Knowing what you had and where you had it is the critical first step in understanding the order of magnitude of the breach. Because if you don't know, then you have to notify everybody. But if you know exactly what you had and exactly where it was, then you know exactly what was breached. 
then your overall impact is going to either be significantly less or at a minimum, you'll know exactly what the impact is. So listeners, now it's your turn. Check your sent folder. Did you have thousands of messages like I did? Do you keep multiple copies of records that you should be destroying? And after listening to that interview, do you think you might do a few things differently? We want to hear about it. Email us at podcast at hfma.org or join us in HFMA's community to talk about it. The COVID-19 pandemic has posed new financial challenges and exacerbated existing ones. To help organizations overcome these challenges, new solutions have emerged for accounts payable financing that expand health systems or hospitals network of banking partners beyond existing portfolio relationships. Today with our sponsor, GHX ePay, we're presenting five keys to look for when selecting an AP finance solution for supplier payments. Supplier-specific focus. To satisfy supplier short-term obligations debt, a healthcare organization requires a solution designed to direct funds where they're needed, when they're needed, while streamlining processes to facilitate timely supplier payments. Diversification. In today's challenging financial environment, health systems and hospitals often struggle with limited banking relationships and therefore limited options in terms of financing. They should choose a solutions provider that has a broad range of financial partners and trusted relationships with these institutions. Rebate eligibility. Supplier rebates are a valuable way to offset costs and maximize contracted savings opportunities. Eligibility for rebates, therefore, should be part of the chosen AP finance solution. Freedom from penalties or fees. The reason health systems and hospitals seek an integrated AP finance or e-payment solution is to access additional capital cost efficiently. The solution should have no upfront costs for healthcare organizations leveraging it for accelerated automated clearinghouse, commercial card payments, and other AP modalities. Flexibility and float. Liquidity should enter the working capital cycle early, providing the provider organization with the option to draw funds as needed for supplier payments. This segment was sponsored by GHX ePay. The intense financial pressure brought on by COVID-19 has underscored the importance of a unified approach to managing payments to suppliers. The need to improve financial operations and drive better automation is critical. GHX ePay unifies and simplifies financial management through an integrated payments platform designed specifically for healthcare. Visit ghx.com ePay to learn more today. Before we close, let's talk about a couple things we have coming up at HFMA. Uh, On February 2nd, we have a webinar, 2021 Healthcare Financial Technology Trends, Survey Data from Hospital Leaders. We are going to be discussing the impact of COVID-19 on business processes in 2020 and what executives will be focusing on in 2021. Eric, anything you want to plug? This year is HFMA's 75th anniversary and We have plans starting in March to to just include a bunch of articles telling about kind of the history of the the association and really interesting facts about it over the past 75 years. We're going to highlight milestones through HFMA's journey over the course of the year. So that's, that's something to look forward to. 
We also have in our community, the January community call out. Uh, we're asking people to tell us their HFMA stories, their uh, what HFMA has meant to you and to your career, um, any, any special memories that you might have. And I know that there are a lot of people with a lot of great stories because I've heard some of them um, and we would definitely like to hear more. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. My co-host this week is Eric Reese. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Special thanks to our sponsor this week, GHX ePay. What do you think of our podcast so far this year? We want to know. You can rate and review our podcast wherever you subscribe. And please do reach out to let us know what you think. You can email us at podcast at hfma.org. How did you get that? <laughs>